Tonight I want to speak to you about David, and tonight's teaching is entitled, Armed with Bows. You know, we're all familiar with, arms and, uh, with, with bows and arrows, aren't we? And tonight we're, we're going we're, we're to focus on the weapons of war that were used dur- 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 during these times. David's men became mighty, mighty men. Incredible, incredibly anointed men by reason of the anointing. This mantle came upon them. They became mighty men of God when they served under David. They became skilled in physical warfare, in spiritual warfare, and they also became skilled in the Word of God. And we as Christians need to become skilled in all three areas. We need to become skilled in, in, in the physical, in the spiritual, and we must also become skilled in the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Yeah. doesn't mean we're going to pick up weapons and start shooting out in the parking lot tonight. What it does mean that we that we know how to do spiritual warfare and how it can make an impact in the earth. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And firstly, I want to speak to you about how David's men were, were mighty men of the Word. See, they weren't just, you know, we, we often picture soldiers with, you know, just, just very well built, very physically strong. But these men were not, I mean, they may have been like that, I'm sure they were, but even more so, they, they were spiritual giants. And when they came under the, when they came under the covering, under the protection, and under the leadership, and when they submitted to the authority of King David, and actually even before he became king of Israel, they submitted to his authority. And that mantle, that glory, that anointing was upon David, also came upon his men as well. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And let me give you an example of how the bows and arrows can represent spiritual warfare. In Revelation 1.16 it reads, speaking about Jesus, and this I believe occurs on Rosh Hashanah, in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth issued a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. That is how we are going to experience Jesus on this Rosh Hashanah. Because all of creation is going to pass before God in judgment on Rosh Hashanah. Amen? Amen. So and that's Revelation 1.16. And we, when we see the, the, the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth, we, we often picture a physical sword like in, in his mouth, and that's not what John is teaching us here. This is a representation of, 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 of Jesus. And the, the, the double-edged sword represents being skilled in the Word of God. And you see how skilled Jesus is in the Torah and how He spoke and delivered and interpreted the, 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 the Word of God. How skilled He was in the Word. How skilled and how, and, and, and how articulately he, and rightly, how rightly He divided the Word of Truth, both the written and the oral Torahs. Amen? Amen. So, and the attribute of being skilled in the Word, of course, was with David, but it was also with his men, with his, his soldiers. They were very skilled in spiritual warfare. And they, 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 they were physically skilled in warfare, in the use of the bow. They were skilled in spiritual warfare, and they were skilled in the Word of God. And without the Word of God, you're not going to have, you're not going to walk in any type of authority whatsoever. Right. Amen? And David's men were armed with bows. Can you look at your neighbor and say, armed with bows? Armed with bows. And I just want you to see yourself, each, each and every one of you, being armed with, with, with bows. And in First Chronicles chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And these are the ones who came to David to Ziklag. 
while he was still hiding from Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men who aided the Lord, armed with bows, shooting with the right and left hands, with stones, with arrows in the bow, of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. Isn't that incredible? How skilled they became. We're going to read this together one more time. First Chronicles chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And these are the ones who came to David, to Ziklag. These were men that were called to join David. And while he was still hiding from Saul, the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men who aided the war, armed with bows. Can you say it with me? Armed with bows. Shooting with the right and left hands. Let's all say that. Shooting with the right and left hands. With stones and with arrows in the bow. Together, please. Of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. See, they, they were they were they were so anointed. They were so anointed in a warfare that and, and a warfare and skilled in weaponry that could not even be done in the natural. This was a gift given to them by the Spirit of God. And they needed this anointing to, to even war, to war. They were armed with bows and, sh and, sh and arrows for shooting in front of them and behind them. When, you, when you're in spiritual warfare, you must, be, you must be completely aware of the enemy's tactics. tactics. He's going to come at you from, from the front. He's going he's to come against your, your rear. He's going to come against you from all angles. But the Spirit of God is going to come upon you with an anointing. He'll be, your, he'll be your guard in front of you. He'll be your rear guard as well. Amen? And you must be, you must be more skilled than the enemy. Yeah, Satan has been at this for, over, for almost 6,000 years. Amen? We don't have that advantage. But we do have the anointing of the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. And we are going to bring down, cast down, every fiery dart of the enemy that comes against Amen. us. I don't know about you, but I'm done playing on the defense. Amen. It's time to go on the offense. Right. And, and, and when those demonic forces are coming against you, they're hurling accusations against you because Satan is the accuser of the brethren and they're coming against you through family members or wherever. They're coming at, they're coming at you. They're accusing you falsely. They're, 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 I mean, they're, they're out to completely destroy the anointing that's on your life. But we are not going to stand for that. We are going to take the territory. Amen? We are going to take the kingdom by force. And, and this is not for the wimps. This is not for those that are going to give up after the first attack. But we are going to go all the way with God. And the more the enemy attacks, the more forceful, we're, um, the more skilled we're going to become. Amen? Because the enemy has lost a battle. Satan is under the feet of Christ. Amen? And, and we're, we're taking all the territory. And guess what? Uh, this Saturday night begins Rosh Hashanah. We're going to, we enter the year of 5780. And then 10 days later is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the holiest day of the entire year. The holiest day of the entire year. Yom Kippur is the only day of the year in which Satan is not permitted to accuse the brethren. Satan is not permitted to accuse anyone. Amen? In addition, the Day of Atonement, you know, we always, we always portray it as going into the new year with a clean slate. And that is true. But it's the, the day, Rosh Hashanah is Remembrance Day. It's the Day of Judgment. In Revelation chapter 1, John says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. 
The Lord's Day is not Sunday the way we are taught. The, the, the day, the Lord's Day, is this very specific day that speaks of the Hebrew New Year, and that is Rosh Hashanah. Yes. So at sunset on Saturday, the year will increment from 5779 to 5780 on the Hebrew calendar, representing 5,780 years since the creation of mankind. So Adam and Eve were created on Rosh Hashanah. Years later, Joseph came out of prison on Rosh Hashanah, interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, wrote his own job description, and was elevated to the, to the position of viceroy over all of Egypt. Amen? And God used him as an instrument to save his family from, 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 famine, from, from death through famine. Sarah conceived Isaac on a Rosh Hashanah. Hannah conceived the prophet Samuel on a Rosh Hashanah. And the Bible, is, the Bible and even uh, history, after biblical history, is filled with, with Rosh Hashanah miracles. Amen? Amen? And your breakthrough is also coming on Rosh Hashanah. Amen? Amen? Let's give the Lord a praise and the hand of praise. So, they were armed with, David's men were armed with bows and arrows for shooting in front of them and behind them. They were skilled in shooting stones. They, they, they actually took the stones and they were able to shoot the stones using the, the bow, using the bow as a slingshot. Completely unconventional warfare. The Spirit of God had given them the anointing to even shoot stones accurately using the, using the bow. Yeah. And this anointing came up, this anointing that was, on, that was on their lives came from David who used a stone with a slingshot to kill Goliath in battle. 1 Samuel 17, 49. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. The forehead represents the principalities in the mind. They represent the warfare of coming against thoughts that come against you. Because those thoughts from Goliath were so strong. Those thoughts were a form of witchcraft. Those thoughts and those hurling accusations that came from Goliath's mouth were designed to weaken the Israelites. To where all the Israelites, including King Saul, were in trepidation. Except for David, because he walked in that anointing. And the stone that David hurled using his slingshot. The stone sank into the forehead of Goliath. He fell on his face to the ground and instantly died. The bow represents our instrument of spiritual warfare. And even in when we see David, when he played the harp or the lyre for Saul's deliverance, as you see in 1 Samuel 16.23. And whenever the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and as well, and the evil spirit departed from him. So that the, the bow, the spiritual bow that God has given you, is an instrument of spiritual warfare. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, as you become more and more skilled in the word of God, and as you submit, as you come under the anointing, you are going to receive the skills of that mantle. You're going to become skilled in the anointing. You're going to become skilled in warfare. And as you watch people in different ministries and different uh, uh, different type different 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 um, 
streams of the Spirit. You will see that the people in the, in, in the flock of the ministry will take on the same characteristics of, of their leader. The same anointing of deliverance, the same anointing of healing, the same anointing of delivering God's word will come upon the members of the congregation. Amen? Amen. And even as you've come under Dr. Crowell's ministry of Breath of the Spirit, and, and, you, and, and, and as you serve under that mantle, that the same manifestation of the Spirit will take place in your life. That's where you start, seeing, you start seeing the lame walking. You start seeing the blind seeing. You start seeing physical miracles taking place. You start seeing deliverances taking place. But the bow represents the anointing on your life. Amen? I want you to allow that anointing to take root in your life. And, and don't be surprised when the Spirit of God starts moving in, in, in you in, 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 in such miraculous ways. Because tonight, the sign of greatness that I'm speaking to you about is the sign of being armed with bows. And I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you are being armed with bows tonight. Isn't that awesome? And one thing that took place in, in David's ministry, and as in, the, in the scripture that we read earlier from, uh, from 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 2, after it says, armed with bows, then it says, of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. See, even Saul's men from his own tribe of Benjamin forsook Saul and they joined to David. Yeah. Because they knew the anointing was upon David. They knew that God had called David to become the next king of Israel. They knew that Saul was hurling accusations, false accusations against David. And David never de defended himself. God became his defense. Yeah. Maybe a few times that he spoke out. And he prophesied in the Psalms all the pain and anguish, anguish he was going through. And even as I'm speaking to you tonight, I'm speaking to you from an experience that I'm going through at this very instant. Yeah. I'm speaking to you out of the pain and the anguish that I'm experiencing at this very moment. Yeah. And an anguish I can't explain to anybody be, 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 because of, just, just, just because of certain reasons. But it has to be kept private because I will not hurl accusations against those that are coming against us. Yeah. Amen. But yeah. I'm telling you, it, it's, it's during these times that the, uh, the, the, the greatest moves of the Spirit of God will take place in your life. Yeah. I am being tested, and Bob and I are being tested right now in ways we have never experienced in our lives ever. Wow. To come here tonight was the greatest act of sacrifice ever, but it's not because of me, it's because of God's grace. Amen. Because yeah. I don't have it in myself to do anything. It's, it's, it's God's Spirit. It's God's grace. Amen. I can't... Yeah. I, I mean... And I'm, 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 I'm the least of God's servants. Yeah. But I, I rely on His Spirit. I re re rely upon His grace to, to lead me. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And I'm telling you, and even as those accusations are coming against you, and those soul ties of those people are coming against you, I rely on, I rely on the bows of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. I rely on the stones that God gives me in warfare. For man shall not live, but when Satan told Jesus, you can turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responds with the word and says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the stones that I'm hurling is the word of God. Because the only way to respond to Satan is through the word of God. Amen. I'm not in a place where I need to defend myself. But it's a place where I must remain hidden, I must remain humble, and, 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 and just to be silent. Yes. And allow God to fight, my, to fight this battle. Amen? Amen. Amen.
They were armed with bows and arrows. They were skilled in shooting in front and behind. And this anointing had come upon David's men. The bow represents spiritual warfare as well. As we see in how David, when David, see, not anybody could come before Saul and play an instrument and see David and see Saul delivered. It was an anointing that came upon David. And that when, when he played and he worshipped God, the evil spirit departed from Saul. And if Saul would have stayed in that place, he would have been completely delivered. But instead, he chose to give in complete, completely to his jealousy. And he sought to kill David for the rest of his life. See, we can't control our brethren. We can't control our brothers and sisters. We can't control what people around us do and what they say about us. But all we can, all we can work on is ourselves. And we can pray for those that persecute us. But you know what? We must stay connected to the anointing. Yeah. We must stay connected with God. Yeah. And you, you know what? In time, people saw, even Benjamin, even the brethren of Saul, saw how righteous David was. And they forsook Saul, and they joined David. Mm. And the archers, because the ones with the, bows, with, the, with the bows were the archers. They were on the side of faith. And, and they resolve to demonstrate and prove there is a God who judges the earth. So when they fought alongside David, they were fighting God's battles. Yeah. Psalm 58 verse 12. Whose eyes watch over the eyes of men. Uh, whose eyes watch over the ways of man. Rewarding each according to his paths. As his deed warrants. Yeah. That man is master of his own deeds. And has freedom of choice. And that God through his divine providence is the sole ruler of all the world's affairs, there being no other. Yeah. And tonight, you are going to learn how to use your bow. The bow also represents divine providence, which I'll talk about tonight as well. Now, the question I'm going to ask you is, if you had not gone through all the fiery trials that you've been through in your life, if you had not been through the, through the rejections that you had been through, would you be in that anointed place that you are in right now? No, right? Prophets are created, are formed through rejection. Saul was rejected by his parents. His mother rejected him in private because she did, she did not want to humiliate her husband. Jesse, the father of David, rejected him to save David from being killed by, by the brethren. And David did not eat at the same table as his brothers. He ate in a separate place. And when, 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 when Samuel came to a great feast at Jesse's house, everybody was invited, including all the neighbors, but except one person. And that was David, the, 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 second young, the, the seventh youngest son of, King, of, of Jesse. He was out in the field tending the sheep when he should have been at the feast, but he was not invited to the feast. So being rejected of mother, of father, and all, all of his siblings. Completely rejected. But you know what? He could, he, could have used, he could have become angry, bitter, and murderer as a result of the, his treatment. But no, he drew closer to God. And when father rejected him, his heavenly father became his father. 
when his mother wasn't there, he, he, he relied completely on, on God. Amen? Amen? And that is the place where he played the harp. That is where he received the anointing. That is where he learned spiritual warfare. That is where he was trained to come into the king's presence. Yeah. And tonight you are going to learn how to use your bow. Now let's talk for a moment, let's talk about Saul's military disadvantages. 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 19 says, Now there was no smith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. See, the Israelites were under the, the, the rulership of the Philistines. And the Philistines were so smart, they did not permit Israel to have any, have any smiths. Meaning, so they could, not, they could not build any weapons of iron. So they could not defend themselves with advanced military weapons. But so all they, all they could use is what was in their hands. So, and so the, the Philistines prohibited Israel from, from having blacksmiths in order to prevent them from forging swords and spears so that they could not, they could not defend themselves, they could not retaliate. Yeah. What the enemy will do in your life is to bring you to a place of helplessness. He'll bring you to a place where you cannot defend yourself. Where he will take your right to owning weapons away. Wow. Sounds like what's taking place here in America. Yeah. When you take away a person's right to defend themselves. And that's exactly what took place, leaving them open targets for the Philistines. So the farmers had to farm with tools made from wood because they were not permitted to own any tools made out of metal. They, they made all of their, their farming tools out of, uh, out of wood and sometimes even olive wood. And the Jewish warriors had to use inferior weapons known as bows and arrows and, and, and slingshots, stone-slinging devices to defend themselves because they were not permitted to own any type of weapon. Now imagine what, like, what the weapon of warfare in, in the earth today. What is the strongest weapon of warfare? Nuclear weapons, right? Nukes are the most powerful weapons. So if you want to prevent a nation from becoming a threat to you, what do you do? You take away their ability to develop nuclear weapons. Amen? So, I want you to take that back into the context of ancient, ancient Israel. They were not permitted to own weapons of iron or any type of metal because that would enable the Philistines to keep the military advantage. But the Jewish warriors had to use inferior weapons. Sometimes the enemy is going to take away your ability to use the, the, the strongest weapons. But guess what? God is your, your defense. And God will turn your disadvantage into an advantage. And they have to rely completely upon God for the victory. How many of you in your lives have, have had to rely upon God for, for your victory? Right, Dr. Vicky? All, all of you have. You had to rely upon God. You, you could not rely upon your financial clouds. You could not rely on your political clouds. You cannot rely on anything, but all you had is like, God, all I have is you to be my defense. Mm -hmm. And that, is, that represents the bows that you're carrying. 
because the bows represent spiritual warfare and it represents God being your defense because the bow also represents divine providence. 1 Samuel 17.47 And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hands. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome to know that God will fight your battles? Isn't it awesome to know that when you rely upon God and you serve God wholeheartedly, that He will fight, He will fight for you. And some of the rabbis say, and this is this is from the oral Torah, only Saul possessed a sword. Remember, because Saul gave David his sword and his armor to fight Goliath. But David, in his humility, complete quickly removed the armor because he did not want the people to look at him as king. And he did not want to dishonor the king when the people would give more honor to David than to the king. And that is what, because when he put the armor on, because Saul was tall, David was short. And when David put on the armor, the armor supernaturally shrunk. It's a Midrash teaches us this. The armor supernaturally shrunk and fit David perfectly. And David saw it. Saul saw it. Saul began to burn with a jealousy. David discerned that jealousy, and he quickly removed that armor and went against the enemy, Goliath, with only a slingshot and five small, smooth stones in his, po in his pocket. And he, took, he, he only needed one stone to kill Goliath. Now let's talk. Let's look at the design of a bow. I just pulled this from a, a, Wiki, a Wikipedia page. The bow's design. Can you say it with me? The bow's design. The bow's design. If any of you have a bow tonight, please bring it up. <laughs> so we're going to look at the basic design of a bow and an arrow. A bow consists. I'm going to sound really intelligent here. A bow consists of a semi-rigid but elastic arc with a high temp with a high tension bowstring joining the ends of the two limbs of the bow. Right? So you, you've got this, you've got this, this, this wood, I'm speaking about ancient bows and arrows, not, not, not the uh, very high-tech stuff we have today, but you, you have this, 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 this wooden uh, arch, then you've got a, you a high-tension string connecting from the top of the bow to the bottom, and when you, when you draw the string closer to you, closer to your heart, you, 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 you add, you know, you tighten that string, and then you release the arrow, and, and, and the, the potential energy from that string is transferred to the bow, uh, to the arrow, and the arrow shoots in any direction that, that you aim it. So, and, and, and an arrow is a projectile with a pointed tip in the long shaft with stabilizer fins towards the back with a narrow notch at the very end to contact the bow string. And, and I already showed you how, how to use, I've never, actually, I've never shot a, a bow and arrow before, but I, I'm looking forward to doing it soon. <laughs> so the archer releases the arrow, allowing the limb stored potential energy to convert into kinetic energy, which is transmitted via the bowstring to the arrow, propelling it to fly forward with high velocity. I hope you're paying attention, because there'll be a test on this very topic. <laughs> A container or bag for additional arrows for quick reloading is called a quiver. Can you all say a quiver? A quiver. Alright, that's enough, that's enough teaching on, on the bow. Thank you, Google's wiki. Now, so the bow speaks about, it's, it's, there's many attributes to the bow. It represents physical warfare in the natural. 
It represents spiritual warfare, and it also represents being skilled in God's Word. The bow also speaks about divine providence. The bow speaks about elevation. The bow speaks about the anointing. And the bow speaks about taking territory. And we're, we're going to do all these things tonight. Amen? The bow represents military might and becoming established. And you'll see this in the way that Jacob prophesied to his son Joseph. In Genesis 49, verse 22 through 24. I'm going through this fairly quickly because I have a lot of scriptures tonight. Joseph is a fruitful bow. Bow. A fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers fiercely attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him sorely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. Now the first question I'm going to ask you is, in, in verse 23 it says, this, and this is Jacob prophesying about Joseph. The archers fiercely attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him sorely. When did you see archers coming against Joseph? Can any, any of you think of an instance? I don't. Yes, his brothers accused him. They threw him into the pit. They threatened to murder him. They sold him into slavery. But, and we see him serving in Potiphar's house. We see Potiphar's wife falsely accusing him of adultery. We see him sent to the king's prison. But we never see arrows being hurled at David, do we? I mean, against Joseph. Because these arrows that came against him were hurling insults. False accusations. But Joseph did not defend himself. But his bow remained unmoved. Look at your neighbor and say, his bow remained unmoved. His bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, by the name of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. His arms were made agile. His bow remained unmoved. He was unmoved and steadfast in the work of God because of the anointing. Because the bow represents the anointing upon your life. Amen? No matter how they tried to kill him, they could not kill him. He was sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites and the, and the, and the Midianites. And he eventually came, in, he came into Egypt. But they could not, they, nobody could kill him because God's hand was upon his life. Yes, and even when the relationship was repaired with the brothers, Joseph not once held a grudge against them. In fact, he told them this was of the Lord. And every accusation that I've been through over these last 10 plus years, and Bhavna has been through, it has not been, it's nobody's fault. We're not angry at anybody. This was the Lord's doing. Because if, if these things did not take place, God would not have moved us into the place that He wants us. Amen? Into the place where God has called us to be. Yes, amen. And though many will judge us in the wrong way, this is the, God, this is the Lord's doing. And the Lord had to do it in this way because there's no other way I would have listened to God. Because yeah. there's areas in my life where I was so weak to submit to God's will that God had to maneuver things in my life in such a way that I would be propelled into God's plan for my life. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. I hope I'm preaching to you. I hope I'm preaching to, to yeah. somebody tonight. Because yeah. I think you can all think about examples in your personal lives where you, you have experienced this. 
For some of you, you may have been you you may have been hurled out of a ministry because people hurl false accusations against you. I have seen men and women of God thrown out of their own congregations, congregations that they pastored because of false accusations. And I'll tell you, God have mercy on the souls of those that have done that. Yeah. Yeah. God have mercy on them. Because I'm telling, I, I'm, I, I, can give, I can give you some real life examples, but I, I won't do it tonight. But I'm telling you, you got to be very careful when you come against the, the, the anointing that's on, that's on the, the life of God's people. Because yeah. God becomes your defense. God becomes your rear guard. And when God is defending you, there's nothing you need to do. Remember when Miriam came against and Miriam came against, and Aaron came against uh, Moses. Did, did Moses defend himself? No. He fell on his face before God. God's glory appeared, and God spoke directly to, Mo, to Miriam and Aaron. I'm telling you, when God is your defense. I mean, there's, no, there's I mean, and Moses, in his humility, never rebuked his sister and brother. They were, his, they were his elders. He did not rebuke them, but God and God came to his defense. Yeah. And it's my prayer that God will come to your defense as well. Because God is with you. God is with you. And it's not worth it to become, uh, to become uh, filled with arrogance, I mean, to be, become filled with bitterness, to become filled with resentment, and to say, why did they do this and do that and do this and... What if I had done things differently? Because when you're being abused or being falsely accused, you just want your natural reaction is, is to defend yourself or try to figure out what you could have done differently. It's not worth the energy. Just allow God to be God, amen? Allow God to become your, 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 your protection. But, the, but the, you, like David, you must learn how to unburden yourself to people you can truly trust and to unburden yourself in God's presence. Because I'm telling you, you, God, you must come to a place where God can fill you. Yeah. Amen. Well, allow God to fill you. And just allow, allow, just allow uh, learn how to unburden yourself in God's presence. This is a skill that we all need to learn. And don't wait until you come under attack to learn this skill. Because what I've seen many do, especially those that go through tremendous grief, is that they, 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 they fall into excessive alcohol use, they fall into drug abuse, and they, they do things that they should not do because they haven't learned how to make God their crutch. They, they've learned how to make substances that their crutch. And, and we must learn how to rely upon God. And I'm not saying you're not gonna lose your temper. I'm not saying that, that you're not gonna feel things you know, nobody in here is artificial intelligence. At least I don't think any of you are. No, none of you are Alexas or Siri's. Right? You know, um, I know some of you know, I mean, I, I was watching one Star Trek movie years ago in that theater, and um, Commander Dale was feeling, he was, he, was a, he was an android, is feeling, his, uh, feeling fear for the first time because he, he received an emotion chip. <laughs> and, he, and he goes, I'm feeling anxiety. <laughs> and he doesn't know how to function. The captain says, well, why don't you just turn off the emotion? And he did. And he was fine. But you know, how many of us wish we could turn our emotions off? And I'm telling you, I wish I could turn my emotions off right now. I wish I could not feel anything. 
But you know what? That's not the way God made us. God made us human beings. God made us to feel. God created us in, in a way that, that, we, that we're permitted to hurt. Today I was talking to Bhavna this afternoon, I was bringing her back from a doctor appointment. And Bhavna tells me, I just wish I did not feel so deeply. And why I wish I did not hurt like this. And I said, and I told Bhavna, this is the way the Lord made you. The Lord made you sensitive like this. So, I'm, and my prayer is that you don't, I, it's, I, and I, I, I'm, I, you know, I, my philosophy of dealing with things is different than others. There's others that will tell you, you need to develop thick skin. But that's not my philosophy. I say, you know, I, my, 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 my belief is that God made Bhavna sensitive like this because that's part of her anointing. Yes, amen. And, it, and it balances me out because we, 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 need, we need those two different personality characteristics. Mm-hmm. So God has made, I'm, I'm not saying that she does, she does need to have her guards up, but yet God has made her a person that, that she feels deeply. Yeah. It, she, I mean, she feels, much, she feels things in a much deeper way than I do, but that's the way God has made her, and that's how her prophetic giftings come forth, is, is, is through her ability to feel things very deeply. Amen. Her anointing is completely different than mine, and, and her and, 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 and a, I mean her prophetic anointing is much stronger than mine because of that sensitivity that God has given her, yes. and much of that sensitivity has been developed through the pain that she's in the anguish that she's gone through in life. Yes. Amen. 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 And I, I pray that I'm speaking to all of you this evening. Yes. Yes. And the, the the great rabbinic commentator, the Rashi. 10th century France. Actually, 10th or 11th century. Rashi speaks of his bow being strongly established. And the bow, Joseph's bow, represents the strength of the anointing. And, and it, as, much, as often as Dick Joseph's brothers tried to bring him down, guess what? Destiny's bow elevated him. And he was, he was, he was risen up above his brethren. Amen? And Leighton, it's not, it's not a sad ending. All of, his brethren repent, all of his brothers repented and they became the great men of God, the great, the patriarchs, not the patriarchs, but they became the head of the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. The bow also represents doing the right thing in the midst of adversity mm-hmm. or in the midst of personal conflict. Mm-hmm. How many of you have ever faced a dilemma where you don't know whether to turn left or to go right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe even a more difficult dilemma. Should I go to McDonald's tonight or in and out tonight after this? <laughs> no, in all seriousness, you know, the bow represents doing the right thing, especially when it goes against the grain, when it goes against everything in your nature. So, and, and really, doing what you don't want to do or, or doing something that the flesh really resist. Right? So the first example I'm going to give you is Isaac's blindness. Can you take a little, a little bit more tonight? Yeah. Yeah. Right, this is going to be a longer teacher than the, the normal. We're going to talk about Isaac's blindness. So we're actually going to enter into part two of tonight's teaching. Isaac's blindness. Yeah. And let's turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 27, Verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. I'm going to ask Dr. Vicky. Dr. Vicky, which translation do you have? Okay. Would, you, would you read that to us? I'm going to ask every, all, all of you to read along with Dr. Vicky. Genesis 27, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. 
to begin. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know that they have my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison, and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Vicky. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask for classroom participation. What is taking place here in Genesis 27, verses 1 through 4? I'm going to ask, um, any volunteers? All right, I'm going to ask Sister Debbie. Well, I'm looking here into Jacob Steele's blessing. Okay, that's what it looks like, right? Yeah. Um, to, to wait that, because... He wasn't stealing anything. Okay. He, he was receiving what God had, had for him. Okay. Uh, but in, 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 oh, no, 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 no worries. <laughs> Every translation has that. <laughs> All right. Any, any other thoughts? For, um, um, Sister Margaret? Oh. Or Vincent Margaret, sorry. Thank you, Dr. Sanjay. Um, uh, Isaac is old. He's about to die. And yet he doesn't know when he's going to die. And he knows that he's going to give a blessing, but he's in a way blind, in a way spiritually blind. He, he really isn't sure. So he's asking um, Esau to bring him something to stir up his spirit inside, to make him a little bit happier, so he can give a blessing. Awesome. And what kind of blessing was it? Was it just a blessing with good health or a good life? It was. It was a blessing. That was a part of the blessing that Isaac received from his father, Abraham, to be passed on to his sons. Excellent. Any other, any other thoughts? I noticed in verse 3, he's asking Esau to take his weapons and to go hunt and go catch the game for him so he could eat his hunger. So he's hungry, and he's going to give a blessing. He needs the, the food so he can be happy, so he can bless, right? Right. All right. How would you like to go a little deeper? Yes. All right. The first thing I want you to do is that, that, that headline in your Bibles that says, Jacob steals Esau's blessing is, is total nonsense. Right. Jacob did not steal anything. God is not a thief. These were events that the Spirit of God was orchestrating. Jacob did not steal anything. Rebecca was not was not de 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 deceptive, and so I'm gonna I'm, 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 I wanna I, I wanna break this down for you, and I I, actually, I lost my place in my notes, so give me one second here. Remember I said the bow represents doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. So sometimes in your life, and I want I want you to picture your life and your heart like that bowstring. Have you, are you ever faced with a dilemma that you, something that's very difficult, you know what the right thing is to do, but, but because of whatever, human weakness or whatever, or fear or whatever, you, you, you don't do it. 
Have you ever faced that? Now, I has, I, I, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to be very vague by design. Something took place on Tuesday. And there were certain folks that I expected to, to, to demonstrate just a little bit of chesed, a little bit of kindness. And they didn't do it. And this behavior had been taking place, it was an habitual, it was a pattern that had been like this for years. Going, probably back, being, going back to childhood. And I, I had to give three of these individuals, for the very first time ever, I gave them a rebuke. And I, and I, and I, and I, go, I go, don't you know any, and, and I was talking about kindness, about doing a certain kindness. And it, and it was really against my grain to, to correct these people. And so I had a dilemma, do I correct them, or do I let this behavior continue, as it's continued for many years? So I gave them the correction, and they, they and they, they, they repented and and think and and and, and it think things were well. But it sometimes giving a correction a tohaha is very difficult to do. Yeah. I've done it in the ministry from time to time for, to people, and I, I hate to do it. It's completely against my grain to to, to, to rebuke somebody. But from time to time, I I I, I must do it because in any type of leadership role, you must you, you must develop the skills to be able to to deliver something that's not pleasant. I've had, I've had to do it with employees before, I've had to do it with, with, with folks in ministry, but it's not, and I, even within the family, it's not an easy thing to do. But it's something that, for me, that's going against the grain. So, that, so in, those, in that area, the bow is being stretched. Also, in just you know, don't take the culture out of it as well. Every one of us comes out from a different culture. My family, I mean, I come from an Indian culture. And the culture that I'm from is you never talk back to your elders, right? And I, that's, a great, that's a great teaching. I completely embrace that. And I try to, to my best of my ability, I do treat my, el treat my elders with respect. But you know what? It caused me a problem in, my, in the workplace. And my, supervi my first supervisor, or second supervisor, brought it to my attention. And she says, because of your culture, you're afraid to tell people older than, than you what to do. She discerned me right away. And guess what? I struggled with that for, 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 many, for many years. But see, it's different because it's not, it's not in the family situation. Now it's in the work environment. But even in, but you see, every one of us is fighting different things. And our strings, our bows are different. There's different tension. There are different pain points. So, so when we look at each other, you know, you look at somebody else's tension and, and, and you see what their struggle is, you look at them and go, that's easy. Just do this, this, and that. And you're done. But you know what? You, 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 have, you haven't entered into the culture, the mindset of that person. Right. Right? right? So I can't judge you for the areas that you struggle with. with. And you can't really judge me for the areas that I'm struggling in because we all have different bows. And we have different strings, different tensions. I mean, and but see, God has made all of us and designed all of our bows differently. Yeah. Your anointing is your anointing. It's not my anointing. Yeah. Right? And there are things that Dr. Vicky can do that I can't do because God hasn't designed my bow in the way that God has designed Dr. Vicky's bow. Yeah. And, and the bow represents doing the right thing. Now, I want to take you out of the normal Christian way of, about teaching about Isaac and Jacob and Esau 
and I want to bring you into the rabbinic framework. Isaac's blindness. Now it says Isaac was, was old. He, he was blind. This is Moses' writing. But you know how, do you know how old Isaac was? According to the lifespan of people in the Bible, he wasn't really that old, especially during that time. He wasn't that old. He was 123 years old at the time, and he lived for another 57 years. Right? So, uh, so, the, the, so, so Isaac, Isaac wasn't blind in the sense that he couldn't physically see. He, maybe his eyes became dim, but what Moses is really bringing out is his blindness to, to Esau's faults. He was old, his eyes were dim, so he could not see. See, what I'm teaching here now, I'm giving you both the written Torah and the oral Torah at the same time. Jesus taught both Torahs, the written Torah and the oral Torah. Right? The Torah being the first five books of the Bible. In Christ, as Christians, we call it the Pentateuch. When Isaac was old, his eyes were dim, so he could not see. Comma. He called Esau his older son. Now, last night, Dr. Corral was teaching about reading the word with contextuality. Can you say it with me? Contextuality. contextuality. What does reading with contextuality mean? Rebens and Margaret. Read, reading um, the whole story, what mm -hmm. is said before and what is said after. So we're going to be reading chapter 27 within the book of Genesis. Exactly. So we want to read 26 and read right. chapter. And I'm going to actually even break it down, uh, even simplify it even more. You're absolutely correct. Is when Isaac was old, his eyes were dim, he could not see. Come. He called Esau. Pause. If I take he called Esau, and I read that within contextuality, let me, look, let me look at the phrase before the comma in the same verse. Hmm. So that tells me with contextuality, what I'm reading is connected to what's said before. He called Esau his older son. And before that it says, Isaac was old and his eyes were dim. Alright, do you all see that? There's a connection between Isaac being old, his eyes being dim, and he calling Esau into his presence. Many of you have these puzzled look, looks on your faces, and I love it. Because I want you to feel puzzled. I want you to think, what is, you know, what is he saying tonight? So, there, Isaac was blind to Esau's behavior. See, Isaac knew that Esau has, had tremendous character flaws. Isaac was not stupid. Isaac was a, the second patriarch of Israel. The, the, he inherited the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, right? This was the covenant of the Torah. This was the covenant for the coming of the Messiah, Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, God could not just give this to anybody. It had to be given to a worthy heir. See, and, and Abraham had to discern that Lot wasn't worthy of the covenant. Abraham had to discern Ishmael was not worthy of the covenant. And he discerned that Isaac was the only one that was worthy of the covenant. Mm -hmm. Then Isaac had to face a similar dilemma in his life. 
Remember, the strain, the tension and the strain represents that you have to choose to do the right thing. And, and just when you pull that string back, you pull the, that cord back, that tension, and, and that, that tension, as you pull that string back, it comes close to your heart. And the tension you're going to feel is that emotional tension that comes to your heart. Yeah. Right? That's right. And he calls Esau his son. And what Isaac was doing was, because Isaac already knew that his son Jacob was righteous. He already knew that Jacob walked with God. He already knew what, what the character of Jacob. Yeah. But Isaac saw something in Esau that he could, he, he, Isaac could relate more to Esau than he could to Jacob. Because Esau had similar struggles to Isaac. But Isaac overcame his, his, his limitations. Esau never did. And so when and Esau and Jacob received the very same Torah learning. They went to the same schools. They, they had the same righteous parents. I mean, can you imagine having Isaac and Rebecca as your parents? Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm jealous. I wish I had Isaac and Rebecca as my parents. I mean, imagine being raised by Isaac and 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 and, 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 and Rivka. I mean but you know what? Even having the most righteous parents on the earth does not guarantee that your kids are going to be righteous as well. Yeah. And, East, and, and Jacob grew up with fatherless fractures. Can you imagine how Jacob felt when the father preferred his elder brother over him? I mean, th that must have hurt him deeply, deeply. So Jacob had to make God his father when, when Isaac was not, what was not there for him. And when he came to Laban's house, he probably expected his father-in-law, Laban, to be, his, to, to be a father figure to him. And all, all Laban would do was would deceive him through, through trickery. Laban was a trickster. Jacob was not a trickster. Jacob was a righteous man of God. And so what Isaac was doing was, Isaac in his mind thought, Esau is so struggling with living a good life, and he's having a difficult time walking the ways of God. But he's really trying. So if I, in his mind, he's thinking, if I give him the blessing, if I prophesy the blessing over him, the blessing will give him the grace, the strength, to become a righteous man. But you know what? That is where Isaac's blindness was. He could not discern that Esau was pulling the wool over his head. Is that how he said the wool over his eyes? He, 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 Esau had no desire in repenting. He only wanted the blessing so he could have the financial wealth. He had no desire to, to, be, to become a servant of the Abrahamic covenant. Mm -hmm. And so th there, there's uh, different rabbinic commentaries that say, uh, from Midrash and or, uh, other parts of the oral Torah that say, uh, when Isaac was teaching them, and, Isaac, and then, I, then Esau would ask his father a question like, uh, well, what part of this, you know, how do you tithe of the straw and different things? And it looked like he was asking really good questions. And Isaac was fooled into believing that Esau was really trying to do a good thing. See, Isaac, see, Esau was not stupid. Esau knew the Torah. But you know what? It was in his head, but it did not transform his heart. It did not transform his character.
See, God's not going to force you to be transformed by His Word. You must submit to His Word, amen? You must submit to God's will in your life. And that is why Esau, that, that, I'm sorry, that is why Isaac was called old and his eyes were dim. Remember, he's 123. He's not, according to this time, he, uh, in, in, in human history, he's not elderly yet. He's blinded by the flattery and the way Esau spoke to him. And then, and, and then what, in verse 3, it says, Isaac speaking to Esau, Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. See, Isaac is giving Esau a commandment. So when Esau gives the commandment, he's, give, he's, he's, he's given the word of God, amen? Because mm -hmm. he's speaking under the anointing. And he's telling him to go out to the field and hunt, to take your quiver, to take your bow, to take your arrow. And, and, and what, I, what Isaac is expecting is for character transformation to take place in Isaac's life. That he's going to experience a transformation. But you know what? Isaac does not discern that Esau does not want to have any kind of transformation in his life. The only thing he wants to do is become more wicked and kill more people. And, and that's what's taking place in verses 1 through 4. This is probably complete, something completely different than anything you've ever been taught before, right? Yes. See, I want you to really pay attention to words in the Bible. And I encourage you all to, when I teach Genesis, I, I really focus on contextuality. When I teach on Esther, I use a lot of intertextuality. But I, I really want you to pay attention. And look how many times we've seen Bo tonight. In 1 Samuel, in 1 Chronicles, in Genesis 27. See, all these bows are connected. They're all related. Amen? Mm -hmm. This is a type of teaching, uh, a, form of, uh, a form of interpretation uh, or an understanding known as Ramez. Can you say Ramez? Ramez. There are four levels of understanding. There's, there's the, uh, the Peshat. Can you say Peshat? Peshat. Simple understanding. The literal understanding. The second level of understanding is Ramez. Comparison, which we're using tonight. The third level of understanding is Darash, investigation, which we've done tonight by digging into rabbinic commentary. And the fourth level of understanding is the sword, and that is the prophetic understanding. I believe after you exhaust the first three, then the Spirit of God will give you the sword. Amen? See, Isaac became blind to Esau's faults. Isaac did not want to admit that Esau did not want to repent and, to, and do better in his life. He was blinded into believing Esau was really trying to live a righteous life. Mm -hmm. Isaac wanted to give the Abrahamic blessing to Esau because he thought Esau needed it in order, in order to receive the grace to live a righteous life. Mm -hmm. And again, Isaac was 123, year, 123 years old at the time. He lived another 57 years. Isaac did not consider Esau worthy of the of the paternal blessing, the Abrahamic blessing, without him, without having him perform some formal act of devotion. Mm -hmm. And by going out with his quiver and his bow and his arrows, and to go out and hunt venison like his father loved. See, it's more than Isaac being hungry. It was more than, it was more than just having him have a nice meal. It was really, the real intent of Isaac was to, was to have Isaac come into repentance. Mm -hmm. But Isaac did not desire, I mean Esau did not desire to repent. 
But you know what's taking place? In the end, Isaac submitted to the father's will. Because he, he, there was tension in his strength. Esau was very close to his heart. He loved Esau dearly. And he believed that Esau needed special attention. Because sometimes the, the kids that are more troublesome, we will spend more time with, right? Not realizing that the kids that are perfect don't need our attention, but in turn, the kids that are not given attention will feel rejected. I think being a parent is the most difficult job on the entire earth. Yeah. And so as he pulls that string, the cord, close to his heart, and he's struggling, and when, es when Jacob comes in, Isaac already knew that Jacob was before him. Jacob was not tricking Isaac. And when, when Jacob came in, the scent of the Garden of Eden entered that tent. God's presence, God's glory entered that tent. And then he prophesied the blessing over Jacob. He re the Abrahamic blessing was passed to Jacob. Then Jacob quickly left the tent. Then Esau came in. And he, and, and he comes in with, with it, he comes in with trickery. And then, then Isaac trembled. Isaac was not trembling because he felt like he was tricked into blessing the wrong son. See, any father can tell their twins apart. They just, they just know. It doesn't matter if they have identical voices, identical everything. Whether they're blind or are not blind. People that are blind have greater discernment in the natural than people that have their eyesight. Amen. Because they develop even greater hearing, greater smell. They rely on other senses to make up for the lack of sight. So whether Isaac is blinded or not physically doesn't matter. Uh, what I want to bring out is Isaac knew that it was Esau that came in. Because when Esau came in, it was like the ground opened up and, and, he, and it was like the very scent, the very atmosphere of hell was present when Esau entered him. That is why Esau, that is why Isaac trembled. Because when, when in contrast, when Jacob came in, the scent of the Garden of Eden came in. And the glory of God was present. The anointing was present. Mm. Then he left. And imagine going from a, an atmosphere of God's glory into an atmosphere of hell. So when Esau came in, the very atmosphere of hell entered that tent. Mm. And that is why Isaac trembled. But Isaac passed the test by, blood, by correctly discerning which son was worthy of the covenant, of receiving the blessing. Yeah. That, that string in your heart represents doing the right thing. And sometimes you must discern which one of your kids are walking in the right path. Yeah. Right? Sometimes, I mean, how, I mean, as a mom, I, can, I, can't, I cannot imagine how difficult it is for a parent when their child is not walking with God and is just really out to rob the parents. And, 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 and the parent can't, can't believe that this child is doing this kind of evil to me. Maybe a child is acting so wickedly because that child wants to, wants to steal the family inheritance. And that child will destroy everybody around them because that child wants to ensure that that child remains their favorite and, get, and gets the inheritance. But I'm telling you, God sees everything. God sees everything. Um, and in the end, Isaac passed the test. Because his strings were, were being tried. I mean, 
have any of you ever been in a situation like that where you it's it's so difficult for you and the people that you have to discern are the ones that are closest to you people that you've grown up with even your best friend even a person that you prayed with for many years and then you learn their true colors and you become angry you become bitter you become fr you feel violated for some of you it's happened in marriage for some of you it's happened with with with, with parents or with your children. And, and it's, so, it's so difficult, isn't it? So difficult. Mm -hmm. See, the Torah teaches us how to live life in the, even in the most difficult of circumstances. The most challenging of, 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 of situations. Look at what Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 and 42. And, and Jesus, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. Stones throw, stones being hurled using the bow and using the bow. See, it's all connected, even the New Testament. And what did he do? He knelt down and prayed, "Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done." Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. He's in the greatest anguish of his life. He's sweating drops of blood. His disciples are not understanding. And, he, and, and even Peter, James, and John, his greatest confidence could not comprehend what was taking place. And they were sleeping. And Jesus goes a stone's throw away, and, and he kneels down before that rock, and he prays. And there was no one there to comfort him. The Father sent an angel to strengthen him. And Jesus says, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He's saying, if there's any other way, take this cross from me. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Isaac had to come to a place of not mine, but your will be done. When he gave the blessing to Jacob. John, the beloved, had to come to the same place as well. In John 21, verses 18 and 19, Jesus prophesied to John, when you are young, you girded yourself, and you walk where you would. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands, another will gird you, and carry you where you do not wish to go. Yeah. And this he said to show by what death he would glorify God. And then he said, after this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus prophesied to John, that when you're young, you'll go wherever you want to go, but when you're old, you'll be carried where you don't want to go. You know what that, you know what that was, to go where you don't want to go? He was crucified on a cross upside down. Christian history teaches us that he was crucified on a cross upside down. He was going to be hung, he was going to be crucified on a cross, right side up, and, but, Paul, but Peter said, I'm not worthy to suffer the way my master suffered. And, they, and then I think he requested to be hung upside down, but he was crucified upside down. That is the way in which he glorified God. Paul would glorify God by being beheaded. I mean, now, as we're coming to our first conclusion, because I have three conclusions tonight, Jacob's ladder. You want to you take you a little more tonight? Yes. Jacob's ladder was formed like a bow. Now, in Genesis of Bereshus, chapter 28, verse 11, And he arrived at the place, 
And he lodged there because the sun had set. Now, I want you to look at this for a second. Remember when I talked about contextuality? See, I'm not talking about anything else. I'm just talking. There, there are many rules of interpretation. I'm only using one tonight. I'm using, I'm using contextuality. Rule number 10 of hermeneutics. And, it reads, and he lodged there because the sun had set. So when you read this, just give me the most literal translation of what we just read. The most literal. I want the shot. I want the most basic understanding. In your mind, what took place here? He was going on a journey. The sun set in the evening. And he just said, well, it's getting dark now. I should just set camp and lodge. Right? Mm. That's not what took place. This was a miracle, like a miracle that took, day, took place in the days of Joshua. But just the opposite. God supernaturally caused the sun to set. Mm. Way before its time. So when the sun set when the sun set supernaturally, Jacob lodged. And then what he then, then what he did? He took some stones and placed them there. See, he was in a very special place. He was in a very anointed place. He lay down to rest. And then I'm going to skip the 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 uh, then at the very end of the story when he woke up. There there were because when when he laid down. He, laid, he, he set up 12 stones representing the future 12 tribes of Israel. But when he woke up, there was only one stone that he lay on. And he poured oil upon that stone. God supernaturally caused those 12 stones to become one stone. That was another miracle that took place here. The first miracle is God caused the sun to supernaturally set at, at, at a certain time because God was causing Isaac to stop at a certain place. And so Jacob dreamt, and you can read this starting in Genesis 28-11. He dreamt and looked, a ladder was wedged in the ground, and its, and, it, and its top reached heaven. And look, angels of God were going up and down on it. And suddenly God was standing over him, and he said, I am God, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Yitzhak, which is Isaac. I will give you and to your descendants the land on which you are lying. In this dream, Jacob encountered a ladder that was lodged in the ground, in the place that he was, in Luz or Bethel, wherever he was, because there's different commentary, different opinions of where he was. And then the, 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 the angle that the ladder formed was like the bowstring. Like the bow. It, it was curved. And so, and the, very, the center point of the ladder was at the very point of where the future temple in Jerusalem would stand in the future. The very place where Abraham sacrificed Isaac at Mount Moriah. The very place of, of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And the top of the ladder was in heaven. It, 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 and it, the, the, in this context, the bow represents Jacob's ladder, which represents God's divine providence. And God is in control of all events in human history. Whether countless holocausts take place, the most cruel person on the planet, Adolf Hitler, 
takes the reign over Germany and starts conquering Europe and, and, massacre, and, and orchestrates the massacre of six million Jews. C catastrophes that none of us can even begin to comprehend. Anti-Semitism that we, can, we cannot even begin to phantom. We cannot understand. The hatred that we cannot, that, that's from the pit of hell. But even in the midst of all that, God is still in control. God is still on the throne. Amen. And through every trial of your life, God is in control. God is in control. Amen? Because you are, you are being led by destiny's bow. And destiny's bow is connected to the throne room. And God is overseeing all the actions of mankind. And God's plans are all going to come to fruition. The death of six million Jews through Nazi Germany was not in vain. It's because of the sacrifice of the Jews that we Christians have the Torah today. Yes. Amen? Amen? Their death was not in vain. Right. And together we are going to welcome the Messiah. Yes. God is at, and, and I'm going to give you another, uh, uh, remember I told, told you about the four levels of understanding, the second level being remez. Remez means comparison. Within the category of remez, there's a subcategory called Gematria. Can you say Gematria? Gematria. Now, to understand Gematria, you need to understand the, the, the structure of the Hebrew letters. The, in Hebrew, the lettering system and the numbering system are the same. So the 22 letters of the Hebrew al al alphabet are also used in the, in the numbering system. Like in our, al in our language, in English, and actually almost any language that I've ever seen, we, 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 have, a, we, have, a, we have an alphabet which, which is how we communicate, speak, right, and write, read and write, and then we have a different system of characters for for numbers. Mm. So we don't say A B when we talk about the you know, the number twelve or whatever. Uh, it's it's, complete, it's, a, it's a completely different system. But in Hebrew, the letter Aleph can either mean Aleph or it can mean one. The letter Bet can either be, mean two or the letter Bet. It's the same system. So what's the beauty of this is. The, the, the biblical Hebrew language is so prophetic that if, if I find two words or two phrases with the same numerical values, which means I just add up the sum of all the letters of the, the words, and if they have the same numerical value, it means there's a relationship, either a comparison or a contrast between those two words or phrases. So the latter, the, the, the Hebrew word for latter is sulam. And the and then we also have the word Sinai, you know, Mount Sinai, where God gave the Torah. Mm -hmm. The numerical value of Sulam, ladder, and for Sinai in Hebrew have the same gematria, the same numerical value, and that is 130. That teaches us that, the la that Jacob's ladder is connected to Sinai. Both Sinai and the ladder teach us that God is in charge. And things don't ha happen randomly. There's no such thing as chance in, in, in Hebrew. Everything is orchestrated by the Almighty. We do, we do, we do not believe in the theory of, of relativity. Oh, no, of course, I'm sorry, relativity is actually a fact. But we don't believe in evolution. We, 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 we don't, I mean, at least I, I hope you don't believe in evolution. We don't believe in theories of chaos. We don't believe in the theories of random uh, selection. All of Darwin's theories are, 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 really, are really nonsense because man did not evolve from monkeys. Right? Monkeys are a different species of God's creation. 
Yes. We did not evolve or devolve or any of that nonsense. Uh, uh, mankind, male and female, is a different species than those of any yeah. other creation, right? Yeah. Nothing is random, everything is divine providence. God is in control, God is at the top of the ladder. And, that, the, and the very center, the, the arch of that ladder, is a, if you were to draw a vertical line down from that midpoint of that ladder, it, it connects right to Jerusalem, right to the place of the Temple Mount. And then we see angels ascending and descending. See, it doesn't say they're just ascending. It doesn't say they're just descending. It says the angels would ascend and descend. And it's because when we, through our, our acts of kindness, through our kind deeds, through obeying God's commandments, through our Torah study, through our mitzvot, through our hesed, the, the righteous angels testify on our behalf in heaven of our good deeds. See, whenever you even convert a soul and you bring a soul to Christ, the angels are rejoicing in heaven. See, there's continual angelic activity taking place. There are angels that are ascending and descending all the time. What God showed Jacob, God opened Jacob eye, Jacob's eyes to show him that I am in control. Do you know what took place before Jacob, Jacob came to, to this place? Esau sent his son, I think his name was Eliphaz if I recall, he sent his son to go murder his uncle Jacob. Yeah. And, and, and he caught up to, to Jacob, and Jacob, you know, and he robbed his uncle. But Jacob, I mean, Eliphaz could not get himself to kill his uncle. And so Jacob said, you know what? Instead, just take everything that I have. So Jacob willfully gave him everything. So when Jacob, at this point of this dream, Jacob was penniless. He had nothing. So when he came to Laban's house, he was completely broke. He had no financial blessings from the, from the blessings that Isaac gave him. Because he was completely robbed. He, he, was, he was poor. And even in the midst of the greatest calamity of his life, God gave him such a prophetic dream to teach him, I am in control. See, in, in the time of your greatest distress, yeah. God is right there with you, comforting you. Yeah. And He's showing you angels that are assigned to you. Because as we read in the book of Hebrews, angels are assigned. And angels are sent to those, uh, angels are ministering spirits of fire that are sent to those who are to inherit salvation. Yeah. Angels are assigned to each and every one of you. Yeah. And through every fire you're going through, every tribulation you're going through, there are angels with you. Mm -hmm. We don't worship angels, we don't speak to angels, we speak to God alone. Mm -hmm. But angels, God will send angels as ministering spirits of fire. Yeah. When Jesus was, was in his greatest agony, and his blood, his sweat became great drops of blood, and I cannot, I cannot even begin to comprehend in any sense the suffering that Jesus is going through in Gethsemane. Bearing the sins of the entire world. Of all sin prior and all sin after. For all 6,000 years of mankind. Because mm. we're coming into 5780. Yes. And God sent him a, an angel to comfort him. God will send you angels without you knowing it to comfort you. You will, meet, you will entertain angels who will appear to you as strangers. But God will speak to you. Amen? The Rashi commentates, the angels which escorted Jacob 
in the land of Israel were not permitted to leave Israel. So at this point, Jacob had left Israel. He's coming into Syria. And so the angels that were with him were only permitted to be in Israel. So at this point of his dream, God was showing Jacob, the angels that have been with you, their assignment is finished, so they ascended to heaven. But, but guess what? God did, not leave Isaac, uh, uh, God did not leave Jacob alone. He showed him angels descending, meaning there were angels that were going to escort him into, into his exile. Yeah. So wherever you go, even the valley of the shadow of death, God will send angels to escort you. Yes. See, I, this was not part of my teaching tonight, but this is what God wants to give all of us tonight. Yes. There are angels on assignment at this very moment. I believe this, this very room is filled with angelic activity because of the Torah, Amen. because of His Word. Amen? Amen. And when Jacob returned to Israel, guess what happened? God, and you read about this Melachim, what had taken place is that these armies met him, but they were really in angels. The camp of angels that protected him in exile, when, when Jacob came to the border of Israel, there is some... These, the assignment of these angels was complete, so they left him. And, and the, the, God sent the other camp of angels that were of Israel to escort him into the land. Yeah. See, God has angels on assignment for you. Yeah. And even every time you enter into different types of spiritual warfare, there are different angels assigned to you. Yeah. We're not aware of it. And again, I don't want you to become off in any type of angelic teachings. I don't believe in having conversations with angels. And I've heard men and women of God talk about, and even in the book say that, that an angel came to them and spoke to them in the night. I just, I have a really hard time with that. Because we don't, it's, 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 not script, it's not scriptural. But you know what, but I just know there are angels on assignments. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And with that, we're going to actually we're going to actually close this teaching, but the bow and the heart. Final conclusion. When you pull the string, the tension of is arched, the, 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 the string, you pull the string close to your heart, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes you're going to be tested in areas when, when you have to do, you have to do things that you don't really, you're not sure whether you should do or not. And this tension, this bow, is an area of how to properly activate God's Word in your life. Remember when Jesus healed on the, on the Sabbath? Now, we, we all know the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is that thou shalt keep the Sabbath holy. The Shabbat is holy. Right? So what does that mean? You don't do any work on the Sabbath, right? Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been to Israel, but I've been to Israel once. And when I came to the hotel on, on, on the Shabbat, from Friday evening until sunset on Saturday, you could, when you came to the elevator, you could not push the buttons. The elevator was stopped on every single floor to prevent you from breaking the Shabbat. So, and so, we, and, and now I want you to go back to first century Israel. And I want you to see what's taking place here. In Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 7. Uh, uh, can you handle a little bit more? Yes. Yeah. We won't have Torah next week, so I have to give you everything tonight. Okay. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues, speaking of Jesus. And he was teaching on the Sabbath. 
See, Luke is telling, him, telling us this intentionally. And then he sees it was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. And she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Kind of like a bow. And when Jesus saw her, he called her and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your infirmity. He laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made straight, and she praised God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on these days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And Jesus answers him and says, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from his, his manger and lead it away to the water? See, and the question I'm going to ask you is, did Jesus break the Sabbath by healing? The answer is no. But by the letter of the law, did Jesus break the Sabbath? Yes. But you know what? We don't interpret the Word of God by the letter of the law. We interpret the Word of God by the Spirit of the law. The oral Torah teaches by the ruling of the Hillel the Elder that, it is, that you are permitted to save life on the Sabbath. And you know what? This is completely in line with Judaism in the 21st century. See, Jesus did not break the law in any way. When it comes to saving life, breaking the commandment of rest is permitted. Because Shabbat was not made for, for man. It, I mean, man was not made for the Shabbat, Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man's benefit, right? Amen. Now, I'm going to read something to you that I, I pulled right directly from Chabad.org. And it reads like this. And this is right in line with Hillel's ruling. When treating on Shabbat, a patient who is critically ill, or when dealing with an individual whose life is in danger, known in Hebrew as uh, pikuach nefesh, one is commanded to violate the Shabbat. See, that's exactly what Jesus did. He saved life on the Sabbath. It is permitted to save life on the Shabbat. I mean, it was even permitted to save an animal on the Shabbat and to, and to dry out to water on Shabbat without breaking it. They, they didn't break the Shabbat because this was, in, this was, the, this was the intention, this was the spirit, this was the intent of the commandment. When Moses gave the commandment, he, he wasn't given a commandment that was so stringent that if, some, if somebody's screaming that's about, you know, if your child is about to fall into boiling hot water, you can't just say, I can't save my child because the, the, the word of God says, thou shalt, you know, you know thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy. No, the commandment must, we must interpret the, the commandment by the oral Torah. The oral Torah teaches us that you can save life on the Shabbat. Amen? Amen. So, so that is another area of attention in our lives. Let me give you another one. Let's say you're dealing with a situation between a parent and your, and your wife. Do I, and, this, and the situation is, do, do I take care of my wife? by violating another commandment that says to honor your parents. That's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, and it's like, and I can't keep both. Am I going to keep Genesis 2.24 where it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife? Mm -hmm. yes. Or, do I keep the commandment to honor your mother and father? 
And my mother and father is teaching and telling me to, 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 to mistreat my wife. What do I do? do? Which commandment do I keep? Do I keep the commandment from Genesis 2.24? Or do I, do I keep the commandment to honor my parents from the Ten Commandments? Right. Honor. Because that, that was the intent of Moses. We, we interpret it by the Spirit of the law. By the Spirit, by the Spirit of God. That when, when, I, when I join my wife, I become one flesh with my wife. That, that, I'm, 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 that we're joined together. And, and together, we, we stay together no matter what adversity comes against us. No matter what cultural adversity comes against us, I, that, I, 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 I take care, that I take care of my wife. But God will provide ways in which I can still honor my parents. But in that very situation, I must choose my wife. I have seen many, many marriages destroyed because the son cannot detach from the mother. And it's a very sick connection. Because when you, when you join yourself to your spouse, you become one with your spouse. Amen? That your spouse becomes number one. You can still honor your parents, but you don't honor your parents in a sick way. I have seen a person put away his wife because of fear of his mother. I have seen it take place in my lifetime. And I'm telling you, it's, 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 it's absolutely disgusting. But these are things that, that, are, that happen in certain cultures. In American culture, thank God that stuff is so foreign to you. Thank God that it's unheard of. But I'm telling you, sometimes you're gonna face a dilemma and people around you will be so religious that they will judge you and harshly because they think you're violating the commandment. But sometimes you have to make a choice and you need, to, you need to learn how to take your bow, pull the string back to your heart and make the right decision. Amen? Amen. And it's not, it's not easy to follow God. It's not easy. See, not everything is black and white. I wish it were. Some, some situations are so difficult that you need skill and understanding in God's word in order, in order to learn how to shoot those stones from your bow in front and in, your, and in the rear. Forward and back. I'm telling you, the person that experienced the most dilemma, the most controversy in his life was King David. He was the grandson of a Moabitess woman known as Ruth. And when we, when, we, when we come to Shalom again, then we'll teach on Ruth, but not, not, not for tonight. Unless you want to stay another two hours. <laughs> I really I do have the energy to do it, but we're not going to do it tonight. Let's just stand now and let's just, let's just worship the Lord. Let's just, just, let's just thank you. Just give the Lord a hand of praise. Let's just thank you for what he's done for us. Thank you for what he's done for us. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness tonight.